afternoon and evening. Join our team for a fun way to give back to KPFA and contribute to the success of the fair. To sign up, email volunteer at kpfa.org or call Kim at 510-848-6767, extension 244. See you at the fair. You're listening to KPFA, KPFB in Berkeley, KFCF 88.1 in Fresno, K248BR 97.5 in Santa Cruz, and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3 o'clock. Up next, Cover to Cover with Jennifer Stone. Stay tuned. Friday, happy endings are the So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys, there's your picture. Drop the shadows out of This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today's November 28, 2017. Oh, I'm in a dither. Oh, oh boy. I, I got to focus. That's what I got to do. Focus. I actually, I, I do want to just ignore all this blathers about sexual harassment. It is turning into a... A frenzy, a feeding frenzy. They just want to talk and talk about it. Oh, people are always discovering things that were right under their nose. Uh, anyway, actually, I, I wanted to talk about the TV series Shameless and and uh, Outlander, the one about Scotland. Uh, you know, Shameless tackles sociopolitical absurdities and atrocities and Outlander this historical uh, romance and what a way to have a feminist theme, you know, to go back 200 years and show you how it wasn't very different for women anyway, damn it. Uh, the fact is that this sexual harassment expose is historic. It is a big deal, damn it. I, I wonder, I, I kind of think that this is about D.J. Trump, or any way that he's the the catalyst, if you know what I mean. Uh, I mean, if if he can be uh, the the leader of the free world, <laughs> somebody had to say say is enough already. Uh, now, those of us who are old, uh, we're a bit confused. Um, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, I guess most women, most women certainly knew uh, all about sexual harassment. Uh, they also knew that they should keep their mouths shut. I remember my dear father always quoting King Lear about her voice was ever low and gentle. I was thinking, listening to the show before this, I can't, I just can't help interjecting here that the fact that we are out. Uh, inbred with Neanderthals. I think it's true. When I was a young, young woman, 
I used to write uh, huge journals, diaries, in order to uh, express my anger. And I, I locked them in my suitcases in the closet. And one summer, I had gone down to UCLA, I guess, and I came home. Uh, let's see, I was halfway through college. I must have been must have been 19. And my father had found these diaries, and uh, he had found uh, my notes about my assumption that he was he certainly had his share of neanderthal genes i always i always assumed that we had absorbed the neanderthals anyway he was so appalled that he disowned me literally i had to take my little suitcase and go go you know i i i kid you not there was really something else i i don't understand he was a uh doctor general practitioner surely he'd had enough uh enough well not i won't call it training but he did know a few things he wasn't a complete dud but surely he he must have understood that i uh <laughs> i was going through a phase yes indeed uh anyway uh i guess i don't want to say that i was disillusioned but uh that was when I got it. You know, keeping your mouth shut is serious if you want to survive. You can't talk about stuff. Uh, I guess, I guess, I guess that the di- discovery of all this stuff, this, uh, what is that, uh, getting it, understanding the depth of women's oppression, the ways in which they are controlled, you know. It's always a crime of possession, not a crime of passion. Uh, men want to be the boss, and one of the ways they want to be the boss <laughs> is when they decide they want to grab an ass. Angela Lansbury is in her 90s now. I I love uh, her, what is it, She she points out that women are partly responsible for some of this nonsense that is for unwanted male attention. She says that we dress to be pretty, etc. Well, yes, yes, indeed. I uh, I have discovered uh, that, well, I actually, in college, I, I figured it out. Uh, looks are the only game in town for most women. At least they were when I was a kid in the 50s. But... Does a short skirt give permission or is it an invitation to rape? Now, you know, uh, uh, I brought my big file on uh, the backlash, you know, the the recent. Well, the backlash has been going on since the, I would say, since at least 1980. The backlash to second wave feminism. Uh, But it's, oh, there's so much nonsense mixed in with the. Real stuff. Uh, I guess I think it's about our need to see what we want to see, as my younger son would say, after he watched or listened to the women in a consciousness-raising session back in the 70s. He said, oh, if there were no suffering, it would be necessary for you guys to invent it. Well, uh, <laughs> I, I will just recommend... Alan Watts' book, Man, Woman, and Nature. Now, if you care about this man-woman stuff, you know, uh, check that out. Actually, I, I, I may dig up 
some some things uh, that are a little a little bit more coherent uh, on this subject. Uh, I hope that this brouhaha going on now is truly a consciousness raising uh, moment in history, a teaching moment. They always say. Still, I just I can't help feeling sorry for Al Franken. Men my age used to say to me that they they couldn't be expected to just change overnight. My question is, what did men learn at their mother's knee? And what did women learn? What have we learned? Uh, Sexism goes so deep, it's hard to see. We think it's just reality. Uh, Who taught young men, boys, sons, that it's okay to be a jackass, who gave them these privileges. Uh, Now, don't get me wrong. uh, (laughs) I think it's a tragedy that life's greatest joy, that is uh, sexual ecstasy, life's gift to both sexes, uh, I, I guess it hurts to know how we kill our joys by twisting our lusts. It's very deep stuff psychologically, you know. Sex in a death culture. That's a subject for, uh, oh, I don't know, several PhDs. I, <laughs> I, I hope that this isn't all wasted. Uh, today I want to read a story published in the 1970s. I hope I have time. I shouldn't run my mouth uh, it's called Blood Rust. When I wrote it back in the day long ago, in the 70s, yes, I thought that the way to enlighten or to reach the reader, uh, both genders, that the way was to write about denial, to show how we, how we make it up to suit ourselves, whatever, you know. All about, it's the, the ways that we repress the bad stuff, uh, turn it on its head. Now, repressed memories are real, folks, but they're, um, they're ill repute these days. Uh, they do, they do tell real stories. And, you know, uh, Freud got it wrong, but he got it. Now, um, this stuff can create terrific uh, chaos terrible misunderstandings. Anyway, let me give you an example of my efforts, my sad efforts to try to get through to people about the way, the way we, uh, what do we call that, not just compartmentalize, but how we tuck pieces of our lives away. Uh, anyway, this story is called Blood Rust. As I've told you, uh, Anna knew me when I was just a little kid. Uh, She made me doll clothes and stuff. (laughs) She used to say, it's the man humor it. But that was when I was older. Twenty years after my mother died, I called Anna on the phone. It was 1967 and I was living in San Francisco and she was living in sin. She had some money from Social Security and a lover she found when she dialed the wrong number. Uh, 
They recognized each other's voices at once. They were set up in Venice, California. So I told Anna I was getting a divorce. That was great. She said I asked her about the panic and the money and the kids. and <clears throat> She told me I'd get used to it. It just panicked, she said. She was so blithe, so Catherine Hepburn when there's nothing left to lose. How was it, I wonder, that Anna was so golden and my mother was so blue? They were best friends until mother died all those years. Uh, until 1947. Mother died in 1947, my goodness. 64, that's a long time ago. My mother died before she even got through the menopause. Before she died, my father tried to straighten her out. He kept asking her what she wanted all the time. She said she didn't know. He gave her all the things she asked him for. There was the house with the pepper trees planted all around, give us shade in the desert and so many trees and everything scrubbed so clean. The washing sent out Everything put away, always. Things in order every day before lunch. Uh, a maid, we had a maid to start dinner. So mother could take me to the swimming pool. She hadn't wanted the babies, though. There were three of us. He had to drag us out of her. Mother went to New York every other year to visit her uh, older sister. Her sister, my aunt, had dark, dark hair. She had a job with the advertising department at Saks. My aunt had only been married once and then only for a year. She had one son sent him off to military school. She had an apartment in the East 60s in Manhattan. On the odd years, she would take a train out west to see us. Even years... Mother would go to Manhattan and come home with her reddish-blonde hair done up in the beauty shop ways. She would be cheerful and high for a few days, and then she would be depressed again and get that vacant look. She would sit and stare at half a grapefruit in front of her on the breakfast table. I would leave for school and tell her that I was leaving, and she would still be staring into the half grapefruit and never look up to say goodbye footnote here uh, the things that I left out of this story bother me now because I just wanted to hint at things I didn't want to to tell them uh, the half grapefruit is about the way my father kept my mother on a diet uh, we never never want to get fat <laughs> anyway my mother never yelled much only somewhat sometimes she was always sweet sweet to us she was always putting things away she would say i don't care what you do with it just get it out of sight she did not like clutter it made her cry at times she said Men could not clean up the house because they never got in the corners. They overlooked things. When she was in college, she had studied architect 
architecture, and Frank Lloyd Wright was her favorite model. Uh, she said that the eye should rest, surfaces should be smooth. Each time I set dolls on my pillow or put perfume bottles on my dressing table, she took them and put them away in a drawer. She was always telling us not to leave stuff lying on the bed. If I got mad, she would tell me that since I didn't change my sheets or sweep my floor, I didn't have any say in the matter. Well, I didn't really care. I let her do things for me. I wanted to play all day on the beach in the summers and go to the pool all through the Tucson winters. I let my mother take care of everything. Uh, after my mother began to drink too much, my father paid me 25 cents each morning, a quarter on the kitchen table, yes. Uh, this was to fix him some tea and a little piece of toast. I used hot tap water and a tea bag. Uh, he would sit at the kitchen table and stare out the window at the trees. That was when we lived in the desert. Or he would stare at the sea in the summer and he would drink the tea and be very nice to me. He had to get up early every morning, do surgery, and he always told me to remember when I grew up to get up early and fix my husband something to eat first thing every morning and never to leave dishes in the sink. My mother was not, as I said, mean to us exactly, only to him. She seemed to provoke him into fights. She hadn't wanted three kids, she told him. That was his idea. Who had a right to have kids during the Depression anyway? She had two girls first, and then finally, finally, when she was older, she had a boy. She said that she doted on him, on little Mikey. She told everyone that. She said, I was cute. My sister was bright. And Mikey was sweet. Stuff like that. She died when my brother was nine. She died and left him. Left him when he was nine years old. When I was nine, my mother's sister's son came to stay with us. He was on vacation from his military school. His mother wanted him to spend his summer with a real family and have brothers and sisters to play with. My father didn't like him because he had allergies, which my father said were phony and my mother thought were funny. Mother gave him a goose feather pillow and told him it was chicken feathers and he didn't break out from his goose feather allergy. <laughs> my mother thought he had psychosomatic allergies because he had been in military school for 10 years. He was 16 going on. 17, he had dark, dark hair. He couldn't stay with his mother in her Manhattan apartment. So he stayed with different people when school was out. While he stayed with us that summer, he showed me his genitals and what they were for. I was too small for much more, but he did try. And I remember just recently how it was. I was sitting on the toilet and bleeding while he told me not to tell my mother. He was sitting on the edge of the bathtub, which was a 
beach house bathtub with rusty claw feet. And uh, I knew that I would never tell my mother because it was, well, I was just too embarrassed and ashamed. And I wouldn't have known what to tell her anyway. As I got older, I forgot about the bleeding. I only remembered the parts about being sort of molested. I forgot, truly forgot about that bleeding until a few years ago. Footnote here, I would have been 37. Uh, repressed memory. I, I did always remember that I had played around, we called it, and been nasty. And then after he had shown me how, uh, well, I tried to play around with other children. Another footnote, goddess forgive me. Most of the boys went along with all that, but then a little girl, yes, a little girl resisted. That's what I remember best. I remember the excitement. Uh, I remember the terror of wondering whether... She's going to tell. Uh, the curious thing is, I forgot all about the loss of my maiden head, my holy hymen. I didn't fool around again in earnest until I was 20, and by that time, I was old enough to have a regular affair, and I thought it, well, I thought my hymen had just... Um, uh, faded away, worn away from using Tampax and and uh, all that stuff. Uh, years passed. I got married, got divorced. I never thought about anything except perhaps why I was so lonely. Then I went to the seashore one summer to visit Anna. Yes, she was staying in a house with a bathtub. Yes, Venice, Venice, California. Her bathtub was rusty, and the screens were rusty, and the sink was rusty, and yes, I was 36 years old then. I sat on the edge of her bathtub, and I picked up Anna's little girl grandchild, took her off the toilet, and set her down on the tiles. Right next to her five-year-old feet, were the rusty claw feet of the old bathtub. Someone had painted the claw feet, the toenails, yes, painted them a bright red, a bright blood color. Anna's granddaughter had taken nail polish. She had painted the nails on the rusty claw feet of the old bathtub and the blood red polish was uh, dripping and there were spots on the floor. I went out to the kitchen to tell Anna about dredging up a memory, a memory of how I lost my maidenhead. I told her what a satisfaction it was remembering to remember what happened because I always thought that uh, it just sort of faded away, you know, whereas now that I 
had remembered the blood, well, it was clear that uh, it had been broken in the classic sense, the way it happens in novels, you know. Anna looked at me, and she went out of the room. She came back with a bottle of brandy, put it on the kitchen table. She sat down, poured herself half a glass, and drank some, and gave me the rest. Of course, of course, I told her. It wasn't rape, exactly. I mean, just child molesting, she suggested. Well, I said, I mean, he was a child himself, legally. Anna gave me some more brandy. So I told her, all about being raped by a regular rapist when I was an adult. A very bad scene, as they say. Now, the worst thing I remember about that poor creep was when he told me he would not harm my daughters if I did as I was told. It was very dark in my apartment. I was alone. Uh, I lived there with the ones he called my daughters, the ones who were... Uh, boys in their uh, boys in their sleeping bags right uh, they had reddish golden hair like my mother's well I saw to it that he didn't touch them I have always been very careful never never to give birth to a daughter I have painted a portrait of the daughter I won't have. Her name is Joy. I gave birth to her when I was nine. She was, of course, born dead. But I still dream of her the last time I saw her in a dream. She was only uh, a baby... They would not let me take her home. They wanted her to stay in the hospital. They said she should stay with those others behind that glass. Her portrait is almost finished now. She is a satyr, a sadist with dark, dark hair. She is a changeling who wants to torment and torture. She is my primal, natural child. When she grows up, there will always be a little trickle of blood on her hand or on her little claw feet. That story is called Blood Rust. I remember Adam David Miller found that story years ago and uh, he read it on KPFA I cannot remember what decades ago uh, he said well they were beginning to get the picture and <laughs> here it is well almost half a century later and uh, somebody somewhere <laughs> is trying to expose the terrible things human beings do to one another Never mind, never mind. Next week I will try to uh, <clears throat> put together some reviews for good stuff, good stuff <coughs> for you guys to watch. Next week is December the 5th. That's my birthday. 
if I live for another week, I'll make it to 19... No, 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 no. I was born 1933. Next Tuesday, if I live for seven more days, I'll be 84. This has been Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Until next time, go easy. And if you can't go easy, oh, what the hell, don't go. Divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys, there's your picture. Drop the shadows out of Hello, KPFA listeners. We are counting down the days until the Craneway Crafts Fair, KPFA's annual holiday benefit, December 16th and 17th from 10 to 5 p.m. in the gorgeous Craneway Pavilion on the Richmond Waterfront. The fair features 200 booths of original arts and crafts, fair trade vendors and nonprofits, festive food and live music. Find us at CranewayCraftsFair.com. There has been an awesome response to our call for volunteers. We could still use your volunteer spirit Friday and Sunday afternoon and evening. Join our team for a fun way to give back to KPFA and contribute to the success of the fair. To sign up, email volunteer at kpfa.org or call Kim at 510-848-6767, extension 2454.